0: Creative Power, Volume 2, Chapter 7, Creative Composition. The general rule tells you to weigh the various factors one against the other taking into consideration the associated and related values of each in the general idea, plan or purpose. Determine in this way, which are the primary factors involved, which are the secondary and which are the lesser values. Concentrate on the prime factors and make these the central points of your process of constructive imagination, the focal centers around which you propose grouping the associated factors or elements. The general rule also tells you then to experiment by tentatively placing the secondary factors in association with the relation to the prime factors, regardless of how improbable or incongruous at first may seem such association and relation. Around the letter A, build alphabet block combinations of the letter B, C, D, E, F, G, etc. blocks to see if they make sense or if they suggest anything of rational meaning to you. Discard all combinations that seem lacking in utility, but only after actually making the test and experiment. When there are several apparently satisfactory or fairly promising combinations, weigh these one against the other to determine their comparative values, discarding the lesser values and retaining the greater until you have secured the survival of the fittest then proceed to test out the lesser factors in the same way, working out all the details of the plan. In the above stated principles of the general rule, there is condensed the statement of the general methods employed by man in all of his inventive processes from past time to the present, and in fact, the methods seemingly employed by nature herself. There is therefore nothing entirely new in the method, the newness, however, is there. It consists of the fact that man has discovered how to apply this method consciously, deliberatively, systematically, and scientifically instead of a blindly, instinctively, haphazardly, and in a hit or miss manner. Modern psychology has simply harnessed this mental process and now drives it under perfect control. Thus, the old method becomes a new one because applied in a new way. The old new method has been given several names. Perhaps the name creative composition fits it as well as any. So we shall employ it here. Composition means the act of composing, putting together, joining together, uniting, associating, correlating. Creative composition then means the act of recomposing, recombining, readapting, rearranging, or newly putting together the mental image ideas of man or of nature in the process of constructive imagination proceeding toward the achievement of a definite purpose and the realization of a definite ideal. In creative composition, you begin with the building materials of mental image ideas, which you have gathered together and arranged according to a convenient and efficient classification. For the purposes of a familiar illustration of the scientific principle involved, let us ask you to think of these building materials of mental image ideas as resembling the familiar building blocks of childhood. You have the general idea of your definite purpose and definite ideal before you. You perceive clearly the obstacle which you wish to overcome, the new means to an old end or new ends for old means, the bridge which you wish to build over the space separating the two sides of the stream of ideas. How shall you proceed to accomplish these ends by means of your imaginative building blocks? The answer is simply as the child proceeds when he wishes to build the structure which he has in mind, i.e. by taking up the various building blocks of various sizes and forms and experimenting with them. The child puts this block alongside of that block and finding that the combination will not answer. He continues to make new and still newer combinations until at last he discovers the combination that will work. If you will examine the history of inventions and scientific discoveries, you will find that the great triumphs in these respective fields have been made in just this way. The two terms experiment and experience are closely connected. Both have the same origin. Both spring from the Latin, experior, meaning to try. Experiment is a trial or test made with the hopes of discovery. Experience is the knowledge gained from experiments. All inventions, all scientific discoveries, all results of constructive imagination proceed along the line of experiment, trial, tests, putting this and that together to discover how it will work. This is the whole story told in a few words. In working toward the achievement of your definite purpose and definite ideal through the constructive imagination. You must put this and that together along the lines of experiment, trial and test. You must arrange your imaginative building blocks first in this new combination and then in that one. You must at times even break apart some of the blocks using portions of them to add to others and thus to form new combinations. You must proceed with the idea that somewhere in these blocks there abides the certainty of a successful combination and it is up to me to find it. In your imaginative building blocks, there is hidden the secret of the exact combination for which you are seeking. You can discover this only by experiment. And if you continue to experiment faithfully and intelligently, you will surely discover the solution of your problems. Here is the process reduced to a familiar illustrative formula. You have 26 imaginative alphabet blocks before you and your experiment, each block having a letter of the alphabet stamped on its face from A to Z, inclusive. You start by taking the A block and combining it with the B block, then the C block, and so on until the Z block is reached. If the desired combination is not reached in this way, you begin with the B block and test it with all the blocks from C, on to the end of the list. Then try the combination of the C block with all the others in turn from D downward. By continuing this process sufficiently long, you will exhaust the possibilities of the two letter combinations. If necessary, you may then proceed to experiment with the three letter combinations following the same general rule. Then if necessary proceed with the four letter combinations in the same way. And so on, if the desired result is not obtained until the blocks have been tried and tested in every possible combination or arrangement, order and sequence. By this process, extend to its utmost limits. You will in turn have formed the combination of every one of the many thousands of words in the largest English dictionary. Stop to think of it for a moment. Every word in any or all of the great dictionaries is made up and composed of combinations of certain of 26 letters, no more. And a list of new words, exceeding in number the known words, could be composed and made up the same way. But of course, in the actual practice of creative composition, you will not be faced with so formidable and so complicated a task as that above illustrated. Your combination will be far more simple, owing to the fact that your imaginative image ideas are classified properly. For instance, if you wish to conjoin your house block with your several building material blocks, you have but to go to your building material compartment, pick out the following respective building material blocks, i.e. brick, stone, wood, iron, steel, concrete, etc. If you wish to form a combination between the image idea of some utensil and some undetermined particular kind of metal, you have but to test your metallic utensil block with each of the following metal class blocks, i.e. iron, copper, gold, silver, nickel, zinc, platinum, lead, tin, antimony, manganese, mercury, aluminum, cobalt, tungsten, etc. If you wish to associate your image idea of a textile fabric with that of some particular kind of textile material not yet decided upon, you have but to test out the respective blocks of cotton, flax, hemp, jute, linen, wool, silk, etc., until the desired combination is discovered. If you wish to employ a geometrical form you will take out each of the image idea blocks named in our diagram of geometrical figures in a preceding section of this book until you discover the one best suited for the purpose. If you wish to invent or discover some new particular color, you need but to take out the three blocks of the three primary colors, i.e. red, blue, and yellow, and then by experimental combinations employing shade and tint agencies, you will in time reach any possible tint shade or hue in the great world of colors. Nature has proceeded in just this way, for she has made a world of almost infinite variety of material things by the combinations and creative composition of about 80 elements of material substance. These in turn, having been created and recombined from still more elementary material. As we have said, all the inventions and discoveries have been made in just this way by the process of creative composition. The locomotive is a combination of wagon, certain mechanical agencies and appliances, stove, tea kettle, and engine. The automobile is the combination of wagon, stove, gas, explosion, engine, and certain mechanical contrivances. The wagon was the primary building block of both locomotive and automobile. The wagon in turn is but the combination of wheel, axle, and body the wheel itself being an evolution from the rolling log. The aeroplane is but a combination of kite, engine, and propeller, all old ideas formed by creative composition into a new one. The steamboat is but the idea of boat plus steam engine and mill wheels. The primitive boat itself was but the combination of floating log plus the idea of hollowing out. The farm tractor now employed in plowing, etc., is but the combination of plow and automobile. The plow itself was the combination of the image idea of hard sharpened stick and magnified spearhead or battle ax. In short, every contrivance of man, every tool, every instrument, every utensil, every article designed for use of each and every kind will be found to have been evolved from very simple beginnings along the line of experimentation and creative composition. Everything made by man is put together, made up of material parts. And the idea of every such thing is made up of simpler and more elemental ideas, united and combined in creative composition. This is the only way in which man has ever invented or contrived anything. And this is always the way in which you must proceed in your work of constructive imagination. The truth of the matter is so simple that most persons entirely overlook it. You have possibly never thought of it until you have now had it presented to you in this book. And this without any reflection on your intelligence, we assure you. But here is an important point. While man has always employed this principle in his inventive and creative work, he has done so almost entirely instinctively and unconsciously and with an almost entire absence of scientific system and logical order. Now that modern psychology has uncovered the process for us, has taken off the cover so that we may see how the thing works and how the wheels go round, we may hope for much more effective and efficient exercise of the power of the constructive imagination in the future. Already, A number of great inventors and scientific investigators have taken advantage of the new teaching of psychology concerning this phase of mental operation, and they have thereby attained results far superior to those possible under the old hit or miss method. Artists and writers also employ the same general methods of creative composition, though in most cases in a more or less haphazard and instinctive way. The various characters, situations, scenes, and combinations of pictures, stories, and plays are gathered together from a comparatively small list of elements. The great variety of results arising from the many possible combinations and arrangements of these few elements. If this seems incredible to you, you have but to remember the almost infinite number of possible combinations of the 26 letters of the alphabet. The largest dictionary contains only a small proportion of the possible word creations by such combinations. Again, from 52 playing cards are derived all of the numerous combination of hands dealt out in card games. In many games, in fact, a smaller number of cards is used. That modern writers are turning this principle of creative composition to practical account is evident to those who study the advertising columns of magazines divided to the writing craft. For instance, there is advertised a book for story writers called the 36 Dramatic Situations, which is described as follows. A catalog of all the possible situations that the many relations of life offer to the writer. The author has read and analyzed thousands of plays and novels and resolved their basic story material into fundamental categories. A true philosophic consideration, but practical in every respect, that makes available to every writer all the possible material that life offers him. Again, there is advertised a book called The Fiction Factory, which is described as follows. A writer who wrote thousands of stories and made thousands of dollars by setting up a story mill tells how he did it and gives a record of his work in this instructive stimulating book. It should be in the hands of everyone interested in how authors do their work. You may smile at these advertisements and shrug your shoulders, but you buy and read the stories so composed. Jack London, the popular novelist in his story of Martin Eden, which many regard as being largely autobiographical, pictures his hero as busily engaged in writing newspaper storiettes for the syndicates which supply them to the newspapers in all parts of the country. These productions were what is known as pot boilers, of course, written hastily to meet the popular demand and to gratify the popular taste. Martin, had not yet arrived at the place and time where his more finished, more subtle, and more realistic efforts were appreciated by readers and accepted by publishers. London Pictures' Martin busily engaged in reading over his rejected story S, and thus finding out how not to write such productions as well as just how to write them. He found out what to put in and what to leave out. In this way, he worked out a perfect formula This formula consisted of three parts. Number one, a pair of lovers jarred apart. Number two, they are united by some deed or event. Number three, wedding bells. He reached the conclusion that the third part was an unvarying quantity, but that the first and second parts could be varied an infinite number of times. The application of the formula in London's own words was as follows, thus, The pair of lovers could be jarred apart by misunderstood motives, by accident or fate, by jealous rivals, by irate parents, by crafty guardians, by scheming relatives, and so on and so forth. They could be reunited by the brave deed of the man lover, by a similar deed of the woman lover, by change of heart in one lover or the other, by forced confessions of a crafty guardian, scheming relative or jealous rival, by voluntary confession of sane, by lover storming girl's heart, by lover making long and noble self-sacrifices, and so on endlessly. It was very fetching to make the girl propose in the course of being united, and Martin discovered bit by bit other decidedly piquant and fetching ruses. But marriage bells at the end was the one thing that he could take no liberty with. The author relates that Martin soon worked out a half a dozen stock forms, which he always consulted when constructing storiettes. These forms, he adds, were like the cunning tables used by the mathematicians, which may be entered from top, bottom, right, and left, which entrances consist of scores of lines and dozens of columns, and from which may be drawn without reasoning or thinking, thousands of different conclusions, all unchallengeably precise and true. This, in the course of half an hour with his forms, Martin could frame up a dozen or more storiettes, which he put aside and filled in at his convenience. The real work was in constructing the frames and that was merely mechanical. He had no doubt whatever of the efficacy of his formula. His machine-made storiettes, though he hated them and derided them, were successful. We have also read the story of the early life of the great painter of whom it is told that in order to keep the wolf from the door, he painted stock pictures for the trade, pictures bearing a fictitious name, which were designed for sale at the popular auction houses of that time. He could paint such pictures in a day or two, sometimes in a few hours, in fact. And in spite of their hasty preparation, they showed signs of merit and skill, if not of genius, and appealed to the taste of those attending the auction sales. They sold well and served to keep the pot boiling. His main difficulty was that of providing subjects for his pencil and brush. So he set to work to overcome this difficulty. Like Martin Eaton, he discovered a formula. He invented a system. He prepared a series of cardboard discs. Upon each disc, he wrote the name of some main element or detail of a picture. The four seasons, each were thus noted each suggesting the associated facts of scenery. Mills, meadows, hills, mountains, the sea, lakes, forests, etc. Each were noted down. Thus, he had at his disposal several hundred elements or details of a popular picture. He made a great combination wheel of his discs, so arranged that when he gave the wheel a twirl, it would finally come to rest with a number of details appearing directly under the arrow point Placed just over the top of the wheel. Thus, he would read, for instance, autumn, hill, lake, old mill, etc., etc., and he would then have the general subject of his picture, the details and treatment to be supplied from fancy, inclination, and the mood of the moment. In this way, he avoided too marked monotony, too much repetition, and above all, too much time and thought expended upon hunting for subjects. Sorted, Mere mechanical construction, prostitution of talent, you may say. Well, perhaps so, yet the plan accomplished the purpose and overcame the obstacles. In each case, it served as a stepping stone to better things. The real fault was in the cheapness and superficiality of the work in its absence of animating spirit, not in the mechanism of arranging and combining details. For even the great artist and writer, must have his mechanism as well as his genius and inspiration. You would be surprised to learn how laboriously the materials and the combinations of the great artists, writers, and playwrights are obtained and conjoined. You see only the finished product. You lose sight of the mental mechanism which built it up. Yet that mechanism is always there. It must be there. Art serves to conceal it, but not to dispose with it. The machinery is always present and active, though there be also present the God in the machine. Even God or nature employs machinery in creation. We shall close our consideration of the methods of efficient, constructive imagination by reminding you that the general rule finally tells you, having reached at least a fairly satisfactory working plan, idea, invention, or solution of your problem, You should then carefully detach yourself from it. You should move from your personal point of view and try to see it as others will see it. Try to imagine the effect it will have on the persons whom you wish to be interested in your finished product. How it will meet with their requirements, satisfy their wants, arouse their desires for it, et cetera. Your own creative conjunction, plan, method, design, or invention naturally will seem to you as the infant does to its mother. No mother is an unprejudiced critic of her own baby. You must see the thing as others see it in order to arrive at an intelligent idea of the utility of your idea. You must use past experience, reason, judgment, discrimination, and cool decision in this latter testing process. The above statement speaks for itself and is sufficiently comprehensive to stand alone. All that we wish to add is these few words. If your detailed inspection and survey convinces you that your work will not fill the requirements of those for whom it is intended, then back to the mental workshop with it. You will be able to cure the defects, strengthen the weak points and to reshape the form in accordance with the heart's desire of those who must be satisfied by precisely the same methods already employed. Find out first what is required then adapt these new factors to the old form by the same old method and the desired result will be obtained. The principle is universal in its application and will fit any case in which it is applied. It is as invariable as the law of mathematics. But like those laws, it requires skill, patience, work and determination to apply it to difficult problems. We can close our treatment of the subject of efficient constructive imagination in no better way than by quoting the statement of Herbert Spencer in which he attributes to constructive imagination, the rank of the highest intellectual faculty. His statement follows, instead of constructive imagination being as commonly supposed an endowment peculiar to the poet and writer of fiction, it is questionable whether the man of science truly so-called does not possess even more of it. When imagination rises into the constructive form, there is an ever increasing originality, which tells at once on the industrial arts, on science and on literature. Spencer caught as truly have added, and on business, on manufacturing, on selling, on distribution or service of all kinds wherein wants are met, demands filled, obstacles overcome and thwarted purposes set aright. Without the power of constructive imagination, man will never be all there is in him to be, never do all that is in him to do, never reach all that is in him to reach. It lights up the whole horizon of thought as the sunrise flashing along the mountain top lights the world.